everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Amy Boris, Deputy Director of CII. Our topic today is R-Factor, a new trademarked ESG scoring system that State Street Global Advisors has developed to inform its proxy voting and its engagements with portfolio companies. Our special guest is Rocky Kumar, Senior Managing Director and Head of ESG Investments and Asset Stewardship at State Street Global Advisors. State Street is the world's third largest asset manager with $2.5 trillion in assets it invests on behalf of clients. It is also a long-term associate member of CII. Welcome, Rocky, and thanks for speaking with me today. Hi, Amy. It's great to be on this podcast. Wonderful. You have been emphatic about your firm's belief that taking material, environmental, social, and governance factors into consideration in the investment process is integral to fiduciary duty, not contradictory to it. State Street, like a growing number of other institutional investors, use material ESG factors as critical drivers of a company's ability to mitigate risk and generate sustainable performance for the long term. So I'd like to ask you five questions about R-Factor and how it helps State Street and its portfolio companies understand ESG issues. First, just generally, why did State Street Global Advisors decide to create R-Factor? Put another way, what problem does R-Factor solve for? Yeah, thanks, Amy. And so let me at the outset say R factor stands for responsibility factor. And why did we decide to do it? It really stems back to a survey that we had conducted at the end of 2016, early 2017, where we surveyed 400 plus institutional investors globally. And one of the themes of the challenges with ESG investing or the inhibitors to adoption of ESG investing was data quality. And that led us to really do some research on data quality, and we found that there was low correlation between the ESG scores of different data providers. And we've published a paper out there on what the data challenges are, but if you want, uh, at a high level, it really stems from the difference in the basic methodology and viewpoints that the data collectors or providers have that drives what they collect, how they measure, how they weight, how they normalize, et cetera. And the idea is that if uh, the scores vary significantly for a same company, then it really matters how you're looking at a company and it really influences the design of uh, an uh, investment or the amount you're going to invest in a company uh, from an ESG perspective. And we felt that, uh, you know, these uh, methodologies tend to be opaque, right? Um, and that right. just didn't feel right to us. So what we were trying to do was, uh, you know, what can we do and what do we want as a future state? A good quality data is one that's provided directly by the company to all investors. And it, it's there for everybody to incorporate. And that's one of the things we felt there was a, that mechanism of incentivizing companies through a scoring system that would be both driving engagement voting, but also be used to drive product was important. And, you know, you mentioned fiduciary responsibility. That's very important because what we have done is really provide transparency into how we are thinking about scoring and what goes into that score so that individuals can really decide for themselves if they see ESG the same way and if they see that as a fiduciary responsibility. Right. That's interesting. Well, since you mentioned transparency, there are numerous companies that market ESG ratings. What makes R-Factor different? 
the first thing is that we've really leveraged existing frameworks, commonly accepted frameworks. When we set out to build our factor, we said we did not want to create a new black box or a new system. And so the conditions we had for picking the common framework was one, it needed to be transparent, and two, it needed to be supported by investors outside of just State Street. So we landed upon SASB, and I can go into why later, but we landed upon Sustainable Accounting Standards Board's materiality framework, as well as the corporate governance codes of different regions. So what makes our factor unique is that the scores are based on what's most material for business, because the SASB framework is focused on financial materiality by industry for a company. So it's very much tied to a company's own business operations. It also puts companies in the driver's seat by providing that transparency or sharing uh, the scores with the companies. The companies now get to know, you want to game the system? Go ahead. Just start adopting and disclosing SASB, right? That's going to help everybody or improve governance compliances with your corporate governance code that exists in your market. The other thing what makes it unique is because we leveraged multiple data providers, we use four different data providers to derive the R-factor score, and that minimizes the biases from any one data provider. And I talked mm-hmm. about the low correlations. That's a response to that, as well as it improves or provides greater coverage of companies that are scored. And finally, if we start getting more ESG information and disclosure in the market, we're going to help build sustainable capital markets because that's going to give every investor the information. And guess what? At companies, what gets measured gets managed and boards start focusing on core metrics that we're asking for them to disclose on. Since you mentioned SASB, if you can speak a little more about why R-Factor uses the SASB framework for analyzing environmental and social factors, There are other sustainability frameworks that were established earlier and that, frankly, more companies are using. SASB is relatively new. What's special about SASB? If you look at the nature of environmental and social issues, right, it's concerned that the issues are very industry-specific and market agnostic. What do I mean by that? I mean that the impacts of climate change don't stop at geographic borders, but they impact different industries differently. So what we were looking for is a framework that would provide that specificity. On the governance, it's quite the opposite, and we can go into that later. But if you think about what's good data, good data is one that's financially material, it's measurable, comparable, and consistently reported. And that's what SASB is focusing on. It's when you compare to some of the existing frameworks, which for their time were very good and they are still very good. But what SASB does, it says, you company, this is what at a minimum we consider material for you to report on. In addition mm-hmm. to that, if you want to report, go ahead. But that's the minimum expectation. Other frameworks ask the company to do that work for themselves. So the company gets to figure out what is material. Consequently, the concept of consistent reporting, comparable reporting, which is necessary for us to start using that as information to differentiate companies, goes away. So I think that's what SASB brings to the table. The governance frameworks, tell us a little bit about what you use yeah, there. And so, you mentioned that's a different approach. Yeah, so when you think of traditional corporate governance that you and I grew up with, which, which focuses on board and shareholder rights, etc., that is actually very market specific. It's industry agnostic. It's quite the opposite of the environmental, social, or governance around sustainability, the new kind of governance that is getting a lot of traction. So when it came to that, you know, and SASB deliberately had not addressed the traditional governance factors. That's right. primarily because it's so market specific. 
So what we decided to do was, again, the conditions where we wanted to be transparent framework as well as something that is commonly accepted. And so we chose the corporate governance frameworks of different countries. So we've used 17 different frameworks. Most of the large economies and here in the U.S., we've used the investor stewardship group principles that State Street and other investors helped develop and support as the expectation for U.S. companies. And then in the U.K., we have the U.K. corporate governance code, we have Australian governance code, etc. So that's how we have uh, incorporated both the E, S, and G factors uh, and the traditional G factors. And how is State Street using our factor in making proxy voting decisions and in deciding which companies in your portfolios to engage with and how or on what? So this is great because our factor is a new tool available to all our stewardship analysts. And so you will start seeing the impact and how our processes and voting changes in years to come as we keep exploring how we can use it. But for immediate perspective, we started sharing these scores during engagement with companies. And down the road, we will have capability for companies to ask for their scores proactively. So it's a very important part of our stewardship program is to be transparent with companies. We are not going to name and shame, but we are going to disclose the company's score against its global peers and uh, market-specific peers, industry peers individually. Second is we are going to start using it for screening companies for engagement and voting. And even I can tell you just having the R-Factor score, it changes the way we are engaging because we are really going into topics which are, I'm just giving an example, like it's a company that is a household personal product company. We can immediately talk about, uh, let's talk a bit about your product quality or water waste management, depending on where the score is coming out right? Mm -hmm. And what's the company's underperforming or overperforming. And we have all the ability to analyze and our research gets really focused. We're not beholden to proxy advisory firms, report, etc. We have the insights and if I can tell you, what does our factor score really signify? It measures the performance of a company's business operations and governance as it relates to the financial material ESG challenges facing a company's industry. So Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm really going into operations, which are very integrated into the business, I'm actually bringing a business aspect to the conversation. It's not like, I believe in water waste management. Can you just tell me about it? I can actually talk about how this is important to their business. And Mm -hmm. it really changes the way we look at it. And finally, because of the way the scoring is, we have an indicator now of the quality of disclosure and practices around financially material ESG issues of a company so that we can differentiate good companies and uh, companies that need to improve further. So have you shared the scores with companies yet, or is that something you'll be doing over time? Absolutely. We've already started sharing scores with companies, and the feedback has been excellent. Companies have been largely very supportive. They said, thank you so much. We understand the FASB framework. We understand the score and the fact that we can provide you know, analysis from a global as well as regional industry specific framework. Uh, they think the transparency that that score provides them is tremendous. And so I think it's been really well received overall by the few companies that we've spoken to. And have, have there been any surprises? Have any companies expressed, well, gee, we thought we were doing better or, you know, how did you come up with that number? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I wouldn't say the surprises, but it was very interesting. We came across one uh, company which is known to be a green technology or one of these mm-hmm 
really sought after companies and its products meant to be green. But when you look at the way they're performing on their own business operations, they are underperforming their peers who may not be considered in green industry or not. It's in the same industry, but it's not their product is not considered green uh, from an outside. Right. So I'm talking about the automotive companies. And what you find is that it's very telling. So we raised this in engagement and said, okay, you know, you're underperforming from a sustainability performance perspective. Your operations are not as green or sustainable as some of your peers. And so that really allows for a different kind of conversation about how companies are thinking about sustainability, that we are new, you know, we need more time. And that just gives you a very different perspective of what's green and what's not. Great. Well, great. Thank you so much. So what are the next steps for Our Factor? Are you going to be rolling it out? Is it just in the U.S. companies so far? Is that No, it's, it's actually we have over 5,400 companies globally that we have uh, screened. The next steps are going to be you'll start seeing the show up in investable products. Companies will start having a bit more access to their scores in the sense that we are developing a website uh, where they can send us a, a query and we will send them a score as well as some information on how they can improve their score. And then we are also talking to many asset owners here in the U.S., and they are thrilled, especially with the idea that many of them are members of SASB, and they see this as the ability to support SASB even further, but more importantly, the whole goal of building sustainable capital markets and getting more quality financially material information out there for all investors is very, very appealing. Well, Rocky, I I overstated my questions. I asked more than I planned to, but if you have any concluding remarks. uh, No, I think that's great. Thank you. I think this will be be pretty good coverage, like in the sense we've spoken about a good number of topics. So I think it's good for now. It's too much information otherwise. (laughs) Well, thank you. That concludes our program. And on behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, thank you, Rocky, for joining us. If listeners have any questions or comments about Rocky's remarks or about the Council of Institutional Investors, please contact me at amy at cii, that's A-M-Y at cii.org. Until next time, I'm Amy Boris. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.